What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening, listeners, brave navigators of the enigmatic and the concealed. Have you ever felt the pull of the unanswered, the allure of the mysteries that shroud our existence? For more than a decade, a unique comic publisher has dared to dive into these mysteries, unafraid of the secrets they might uncover. This audacious entity is Paranoid American. Welcome to the mystifying universe of the Paranoid American podcast. Launched in the year 2012, Paranoid American has been on a mission to decipher the encrypted secrets of our world. From the unnerving enigma of MK Ultra mind control to the clandestine assemblies of secret societies. From the awe-inspiring frontiers of forbidden technology to the arcane patterns of occult symbols in our very own pop culture. They have committed to unveiling the concealed realities that lie just beneath the surface. Join us as we navigate these intricate landscapes, decoding the hidden scripts of our society and challenging the accepted perceptions of reality. Folks, I've got a big problem on my hands. There's a company called Paranoid American making all these funny memes and comics. Now, I'm a fair guy. I believe in free speech uh, as long as it doesn't cross the line. And if these AI-generated memes dare to make fun of me, they're crossing the line. This is your expedition into the realm of the extraordinary, the secret, the shrouded. Come with us as we sift through the world's grand mysteries, question the standardized narratives, and brave the cryptic labyrinth of the concealed truth. So strap yourselves in, broaden your horizons, and steel yourselves for a voyage into the enigmatic heart of the paranoid American podcast, where each story, every image, every revelation brings us one step closer to the elusive truth. got another one today it's gonna be an interesting one i just want to give a quick shout out to sam tripoli because he put me on to austin picard uh that's homeboy right here and i was just telling austin that the the first time i just saw sam post like that they had an episode together and in the description it just had the word patcon and my immediately just jumped to my email and sent austin a, an email and was like when can i get you on i want to talk about this so first of all 
we'll get into that. Welcome to the show, Austin. Let people know uh, who the hell you are, where the hell to find you, <laughs> what the hell you're all about. All right, brother. I just have to first say thank you for bringing me on, man. It really means a lot. I followed your work for a while. I saw you had like Gordo from those conspiracy guys on and I love him. He, I, I've loved his podcast for forever. I saw you had Monica on as well. And I love Monica Perez. She's great, man. She, like, I love the way that she kind of, um, represents, uh, uh, more of this open-minded and cap style of philosophy and approach towards a lot of the work that she does. And I just appreciate like her perspective in general. It's fun to listen to, but, um, and she brings receipts too. That's, that's she, dude, she, she comes ready. Yeah. And most definitely, but she comes correct for sure. <laughs> but I, I love Brad Binkley too. When they were doing the propaganda report together, that's when I found them. And I just, I've always enjoyed that. But, um, Yes, yeah, Sam, dude. I mean, <clears throat> I absolutely love him so much. And uh, I can't thank him enough for bringing me on tinfoil. But um, honestly, I just saw him at one point. He had tweeted about Ruby Ridge as if he didn't you know, know the whole story on it. And I thought, what a perfect opportunity it would be because I think I only started my podcast called The Underclass Podcast in April of this year. And pretty much... I've spent like 10 years like in this truther community, I guess you could call it. But basically, I, I, I was completely delusional because of my experience in the public school system and then my attachment to Hollywood. I, I was very just misinformed and I'm completely seduced by cultural Marxism subconsciously without knowing it. And I think that's honestly a huge part of the public schooling system, which, you know, the Prussian model and everything. And I talked about that briefly on Sam's show because it truly is what sets us all. And I think generationally, like we have a real problem right now, like the the four stages of ideological subversion from Yuri Bezmenov when he talked to G. Edward Griffin, I think it was. Um, and he was like a KGB defector. And he he um, he basically laid out how the public schooling system in America and the education system, it's it's basically based on this system called outcome based education. And it's intended to thwart our cultural uh, sense of morality in, in every facet of life almost. And, and, and it truly is cultural Marxism stemming all the way from the Frankfurt School and the Tavistock Institute. And when I read the Committee of 300, which, by the way, today I listened to your podcast with Monica and I was like, what are the odds that, <laughs> that she brings that up and that you guys talked about that? And then you talked about OKC for a second. And that's like I was going to really, you know, uh, a cover like uh, at least a crucial part of OKC that I think plays a huge role in this this insane story that I truly believe is PatCon that that we all know COINTELPRO right I mean at least we should right like the the uh, the feds infiltrating these leftist groups in the 60s and 70s basically and like the Black Panthers and and all of this and I really do believe that PatCon just uh, a rebranding of that and in, in, in to target, you know, 
the Christian identity movement, the the right wing, uh, uh, first and second second amendment. Uh, you know, I mean, it's it's honestly a way to demonize that entire ideological aisle of the of the culture divide, which I also believe is completely manufactured, and <laughs> I'll, I'll get into that as well. But I do. I kind of believe the culture war is a psychological operation in general because it's really we're dealing we're dealing with a class war. I mean, this is class warfare. Most, and I would say in most cases, you know. I mean, because think about the elites, how how our society is structured. None of their children go to public school. I mean, to the government schooling system. You know, as far as the propaganda prisons that we all seem to be, you know, um, overexposed to as children. And that's not a free. Well, they didn't use public anything, anything, public restrooms, public eateries, oh, public schools. None of it is public. They don't do no. any of that stuff. Libraries. No. They don't go to public libraries. Absolutely not. No. And on top of that, right? Like it seems like, and it's hilarious because they all live behind gated communities with all this private security. You know what I mean? And and they don't seem to have to uh, live in the same paradigm that the rest of us uh, endure, you know, on a, on a daily basis. And so I just think that after I was exposed to all these alternative narratives, it made so much more sense that seem to fill in all the holes that seem to actually give me some answers, you know, and, and like I said, make sense of the paradigm that I find myself in. I feel like the world we live in is, is really truly the upside down world where like Ron Paul says, where truth is treason is, and war is peace, you know? And, and I just like, like I have, I would say I definitely have trust issues at this point. <laughs> like a good example would be like, I think uh, like Derek bros did this great job um, when he, uh, he, and we don't have any journalism like this anymore where they actually are on the beat and trying to catch, catch people in the moment and ask them a question where they're caught off guard. And, there was this moment where he caught Tulsi at Gabbard unaware after a campaign event, some speech she had given. I can't remember exactly what the context was, but he he caught her when she was like walking with her security to her car and and she briefly entertained him. And I get he did kind of throw a softball to hopefully get a moment. And then through through the process, he he pretty much tries to pin her down on the fact that she was found on the or listed on the World Economic Forum's future global leaders list. Right. And I thought her natural instinctual reaction to that was like very revealing, you know, like I could at least in my opinion, that was my interpretation because she was pretty aggressively kind of hostile to Derek for asking that question. And I already you know, thought that she was morally corrupt on a lot of different things. I thought that she was a little bit of a psyop in general as well, just because, you know, these people, they'll come out and they'll, they'll be good on certain things almost as like a, 
a tactic of seduction, you know, to try and woo us in to entertaining the idea that this system isn't entirely designed to have some sort of dirt on every person that's allowed to participate in the game, right? And I think that goes for Vivek as well. Uh, No matter how much I appreciate some of the things that he liked, for example, what he said yesterday on, uh, I think it was yesterday, but recently on CNN when they literally wouldn't let him speak, but he was talking about how the feds were involved in January 6th and how, you know, they they ran an entrapment operation, which was the Gretchen Whitmer hoax of the, the Michigan governor being kidnapped or whatever. And I mean, even three of those guys were acquitted, right? Like he said, and I just thought it was insane that the way that they were stepping on, they would not let him speak on this, but I don't really see that. Like I, to me, it almost makes me feel like there, there's always some type of uh, strategy uh, at play to bring into the fold these fringe ideologies, the, including the truthers, right? Which I don't know your perspective on QAnon. And I, th- I thought like from day one, I th- it felt like a psyop to me. But at the same time, you know, that doesn't mean that it there's no value at all or whatever but i i it did really feel like how can we bring in this huge sect of individuals who don't participate in the system who are basically unplugged and they can't they can't stomach this in its current environment so here let us give them an element of what they so desperately want right to like I said, seduce them into believing that there's some hope left in like saving the current system. Right. And I hate to, you know, I like, I don't, I hate to be so negative, you know, and, and it does sound negative because it does feel like what I'm saying is that there's no hope, but <laughs> honestly, I just think that we have to be very careful with who we put faith into. I don't even believe in in democracy as a as a structured system, you know, and of government because it's clearly just like the tyranny of the majority and I don't really trust the majority, you know. And so as an individual and I do believe that the cultural marxism aspect of all of this really <laughs> has a massive effect and implication on why so many people are subconsciously playing into the collectivist nature that's we're all basically preconditioned to embrace right this this collective we are supposed to and um the public schooling system like i keep mentioning i really do think it's it's intended to break the individual down and force us into this collectivist nature because individually we have to be responsible for our own actions right there's no one else to blame you know what i mean and and i think that uh morally it's it's the only way to approach society philosophically you know but uh you know i digress honestly i, I just i get off on tangents on 
on the Prussian model of the public schooling system because it's it's really designed to break us, you know, break us of our individuality, break us of that sense of that sense of liberty and prosperity that we should all we should all just subconsciously desire naturally, right? And I think we do. But I think there's so many levels of trying to root that out of us, root, root out those, those beautiful natural instincts that most of us, I think, have. I mean, I, at the very least, I always felt instinctually, I, I just, I had a, an issue with authority, you know, with, and, and I always have. And so it was very difficult when I was going through school because the biggest issue I had was when things didn't make sense, I would need, I would need it to be explained thoroughly. And, (laughs) and so typically that didn't, that didn't go well, right. In that environment. But, and I love how like Michael Malice, he wrote the anarchist handbook and he's done a lot of decent um, work in like the anarcho capitalist community and stuff. But he basically kind of puts it like, the only time that we ever are in an environment where we're faced with like uh, violence and like, <laughs> you know, like, like consider how you went to public school, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Th- how often were there like, you know, fights, right? But, and I, I like, I understand like we should be able to you know, we should be able to exist around each other as, as children as well. But you know what I'm saying, right? Like they are propaganda prisons to indoctrinate us into the current system, right? In almost every aspect of life. You know what I mean? I mean, I'd go a step further and say it's like a Pavlovian mind control tool where they are, they are quite literally compartmentalizing your thinking process so that you separate the concept of art from the concept of math, from the concept of science, and you're never taught them in unison ever. It's almost like art and music have nothing to do with math. Those are two different courses. And not only are they different courses, there is a literal bell that rings that tells your brain, okay, you're no longer in art mode. You're now in math mode. And you even walk your ass from one side of the building all the way to the other side of the building. So yeah, I'd I'd say it's even a step further than propaganda. It is literally making sure that your brain doesn't know how to communicate with itself because they're that's what they're there for they're there to tell you how your brain needs to communicate with itself right social engineering right like that like i said once i read the you know about the tavistock institute and the committee of 300 and chatham house you know and all these different presidents that have basically been selected you know out uh, out of an elite few that uh uh, and, and it's all been done out of like the city of London and, and all these, it, it really, it, it, you know, much about Eustace Mullins, right? Um, I, I know that he, he worked on some seminal work, especially like early days of conspiracy theories, he even had, I think a record about like the Illuminati. Um, oh yeah. But yeah, yeah, go ahead. Well, all I'm saying is that I find it, he, he, he basically there's, he gives these like, um, he gives this amazing interview and it's a long format, but he explains this alternative version of history, 
right? And uh, he basically explains how uh, the Rothschild family and other elite families and elite, uh, like the Committee of 300 that I mentioned, they all helped finance the American Revolution. They helped finance the Civil War. And it's it, he goes into excruciating detail. It's it's very interesting and even lists like the companies and the different groups that. But it it really did force me to reevaluate and reflect on everything that I thought I once knew. Right. <laughs> and and I think that we all have to basically do that. We have to go back. And this is why it's so difficult. You know, I think. Because you have to, how many people want to admit that they're wrong in general in the first place, let alone go to the extreme of completely, completely restructuring the way that we even approach our perception of reality, you know, <laughs> and, and so what benefit too? like, like right. you don't get an extra zero at the end of your paycheck. You don't Absolutely run not. faster. You don't sleep better. Right. Like there's yeah. no real benefit to it. You know, can't even relate no. to people in the same way. Right. Very Cause much. if someone yeah. wants to talk about the latest Taylor Swift album, you're just like, have oh. you heard of this attorney in cube? Do you know oh about how we're all under the, the rule of Jupiter? <laughs> my brother. It, it's so excruciating to see. Like, and it's funny because I've tried to find something after uh, going through all of this. I've, I've tried to find something that I can hold on to as like uh, where I can just relax and let my brain just I almost need that after after trying to get to the bottom of a lot of these false narratives. I need something that can allow me to just relax my brain and not use it. Right. And so I use what I ran from, which were like organized sports and enjoying, you know, anything like that. I, I ran from that originally because, oh, it's the massive distraction that's, you know, meant to keep us and, from and learning. And now you're about, in line for the, for yeah, the yeah. circus, huh? <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Now I'm like, dude, just give me football and shut the fuck up about Taylor Swift, please. You know what I mean? Like, but no, it is hilarious how much, how, how much programming it, it, it's in, I mean, once you're aware of it, I guess you see it everywhere, right? And and it makes it, it reinforces everything. <laughs> it really does. But but it's just like the extent, you know, like during COVID, it really, it really just overwhelmed at, in all organized sports because, you know, they're massive businesses that, you know, were on the take. And and by all these big pharmaceutical companies. And and so it was just kind of insane to see. Right. Like all, all these athletes like uh, claiming they're getting the covid shot. You know what I'm saying? On live television. And and you're just getting this guilt trip constantly. Right. And uh, that's a huge reason why I started my podcast. Honestly, I just couldn't take it anymore after that. And I had um, I had for a long time wanted to just try and redirect the knowledge that I had acquired that convinced me that all these narratives were, were a whitewash, were a psyop typically. And it's crazy because PatCon, it, it really was like, and it, 
it never it just went underground. I feel like after Oklahoma City, but especially when you have like Janet Reno, Eric Holder, Merrick Garland, all the usual suspects that covered up Oklahoma City. Right. I mean, they had the incentive and Eric Holder specifically, he later on showed back up in the Obama administration to help cover it up again. Then after a PACCON operative became a whistleblower and revealed all this information to Jesse Trinidou. And so Eric Holder makes a reappearance in the Obama State Department Right, fast then, and furious. Yes, dude. To then exactly. And, well, and he's a gun then, guy. He knows guns. Exactly. The ATF gun walking scandal. And and so he came back just for that cover up. And I I have it uh in detail here in a little while. Um honestly, we I should probably get into this at some point, but, <laughs> but at the same time, well, I want to, I want to take baby steps for anyone that has no idea what Pat con is and yeah. because there's a lineage. So let, let me, let me right. state my understanding of this because I'm a root from the outside looking in. And I mentioned that my, my main um, knowledge of Pat con at all comes from this one book called aberration in the heartland of the real, the secret lives of Timothy McVeigh. Uh, by Wendy as painting. And you can even see there's proof that uh, I got it a while ago and read this thing. And I, this book rocked my world for so many different reasons. Uh, and I'll, I'll put a comment for this thing down in the, or in the, in the description, but this book was a it introduced me to the concept of Pat con, which I had never heard of before, but it also provided this like little key shaped, um, like missing puzzle piece that all of a sudden connected PatCon as this like the thing that's like growing outwards and turning into this like Frankenstein's monster. But then Ruby Ridge, which leads to Waco, which leads to Oklahoma City. And then this kind of in a long way leads to QAnon. Like there's there's some steps in between that we're skipping, but and it kind of it feels like QAnon's like the modern version of PatCon, but just like the American gladiator, like Mountain Dew version of PatCon. Whereas like the original PatCon was like grandma's good old home cooked, you know, Pat con versus the, you know, Walmart branded Mountain Dew version. So that's, that's my very crude way of describing it, but <laughs> take, take me through like, what is Pat con? How does like, why do we even care? Why do we even, and how come I don't know about it already? Like if, if it was something I should right. care about, I, I would have heard about it now. Right. 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 So this is, I, to shine a light into this kind of like mentality that is behind PatCon, it so during the congressional inquiry following the ATF siege of the Branch Davidian complex in Waco, Henry Ruth was one of the three independent reviewers from the U.S. Treasury Department that testified that the ATF needed good publicity. With its appropriations hearings a week away, a successful raid this size would produce major positive headlines to counter the ATF's reputation as a rogue agency whose debacles blackened the reputations of other agencies. And it would scare the public just enough about fringe groups to create political pressure on Congress to increase its budget. Right. And I just thought, what a great lens into the way these agencies and, and, um, these intelligence agencies, man, they need to be abolished. I, I really believe they prop up the, 
the most violent, the most destructive. I, I do believe that, yeah, there are, there are always individuals in, in some of these agencies that their heart's in the right place. They, you know, some of them, they really mean well, but the intelligence agencies are really what prop up the most violent, destructive black markets that exist in all of global society, right? Human trafficking, sex trafficking. I mean, I believe the CIA is behind the finders and in the Franklin scandal. I mean, it's when you know that that's what government's capable of and that, yeah, I can't paint with such a broad brush to where every individual in these agencies are responsible, but, and there are many who are completely diabolically opposed morally and, and become whistleblowers because they can't stomach the reality. And that's why we're blessed with, with at least having some evidence that we can point to that can prove the depths, the moral depths that some of these sociopaths are capable of exploiting, you know, and then just the aspect of government of compartmentalizing such, I mean, just such despicable crimes, right? That people can still go to sleep, you know, okay at night, right? Like, I mean, they can somehow justify it in their minds that it's not them that are solely responsible, but I just find that crucial as a concept for, I think a lot of people who don't spend a lot of time in, in these, in these just really abstract and dark crevices, you know what I mean? Of society, you know, they, they, they aren't quite aware of what's possible, you know? And I think that that's, very important because there's a lot of concepts that I never even entertained until I was exposed to some of these lines of, of, um, of inquiry. But, um, so PatCon is an acronym for Patriot Conspiracy, right? And it was a covert FBI operation that didn't just secretly infiltrate right-wing domestic extremist groups, the real objective in PatCon had been to seed infiltrators and to incite these fringe groups to violence. They even created fake militia groups like the Veterans Aryan Movement, as well as running entrapment-based sting operations like what happened to Randy at Ruby Ridge, right? So the official narrative claims that PatCon began in 1991, but would only last until, until July 15, 1993, six months after the disastrous siege of the Branch Davidian compound in Waco. But it seems like, and, and by the way, there's this journalist right now who's just doing amazing work on basically how PatCon never ended and was driven underground after OKC, like I said. And they still had all these different Aryan groups, all these neo-Nazi groups. His name's Ken Silva, by the way. There's a new series, and uh, I mentioned it a little later on. And um, as far as its its relationship to PatCon, because he did this. Uh, there's this series of articles on Headline USA, I believe, Headline News USA, something like that, and and it's about. <laughs> how it's called the fed files and it's it's pretty much explaining and detailing how through these different lawsuits and foia requests there are these 
Aryan movements, these Aryan groups, these neo-Nazi fascist groups, supposedly, that basically there's enough evidence to claim that they not only were infiltrated by all these feds, but they were founded by the FBI, right? And even beyond that, they found they founded counter-protesting groups and then would send them to places like in Charlottesville where they would set up a powder keg type scenario with a majority of the people involved being federal informants. And a lot of people were also implicated as federal agents, you know, which is just pretty extraordinary in general. But it does make well, they're a the lot only of ones sense. That, saw, that, that showed up for rehearsal the first time. <laughs> I think they're the only ones that are allowed to do that for the real event. Exactly. And in the Gretchen Whitmer case, uh, you know, weren't they even like, I, I think that the feds were even like picking up these civilians that they were uh, taking to their destination. They were like, not only did they come up with the plan that would not have ever been in the minds of these civilians in the first place, they were also giving them credit cards, uh, picking them up, taking them to, to the different places they needed to go. It was, I mean, talk about entrapment, you know, I mean, it goes a little bit further than that, I would say. Well, this, but, this um, is even like every story that you read about, like the, the kid drug dealer that gets caught by the cops. And then you find out that like, he never wanted to, and that he just wanted a friend and the one yeah. friend that he found happened to be an undercover cop and then the undercover cop uses that that fragile friendship with this mm -hmm. at-risk youth and then it's like hey go sell drugs if you want to keep being my friend and now it's like yeah. sorry mom your kid's a convict what did you do you raised this scumbag into society You're right. we're gonna lock him up there's and there's one aspect that i that really stood out to me and in a comical way because i work on comic books so it's like i've got a a very crude way of of like turning horrible tragedies into comedy sometimes but it's like right. there's this certain point in oklahoma city where they had elohim city and elohim city is supposed to be the nefarious villain yeah. you know underground cobra headquarters where all the bad <laughs> racists and neo-nazis show up and they learn how to make bombs and they do all their tr their drills uh but there's this there's this very real feeling concept where if you were to show up and look around it's like 90% are FBI and ATF and <laughs> DEA and just like all these acronyms. And there might be like one guy that's there is a contractor that's actually one of these extremists, but every single other person there is in some three letter alphabet agency, oh, yeah. but they don't coordinate with each other because they're all in competition with each other and their budgets. So then like they're each like hyping each other up. So the FBI guy is convincing the CIA guy to build a bomb and the CIA guy is like, well, yeah, only, but uh, only if you do a mass shooting and they like keep upping each other until yeah. They they grab that contractor in the back and they're like, all right, you. And he's like, what? I don't even know what you guys were talking about. Like, just just hold this button and hit the red button when I say so. And right. I'm oversimplifying it. But it was it's almost like no one was going to do any of this horrible stuff exactly. except the alphabet agencies. And then they like build people up. They give them the resources. They get them there on time, which is probably mm -hmm. over half of the the things. Right. Just showing up to the explosion at the right time, because otherwise, oh, yeah. All work out i mean and oh my god man i mean like i think that 
I, I did I did come prepared to at least touch on Kenneth Trinidu and Terrence Yakey for a moment because I felt like it's a, such a smoking gun for OKC. Well, let, let's and, start on Terrence because he was the cop that was a first responder. Dude, a hero cop, at least yeah. in, in like, my the, opinion. Like legitimately, this guy should yeah. have. And this, dude, this is the one. Okay, it's really quick tangent. I, I promise. Quick Go tangent. ahead, dude. This is exactly why i do what i do uh, with paranoid american and the comics i write and stuff because i I read this story about terrence and i just immediately think how come this guy doesn't have like the terminator or like the expendables like how come someone hasn't converted this guy's story into a freaking blockbuster and then you're like oh well well, of course because he represents like corruption and blackmail and like the government like you know sacrificing its own to hide its own so yeah everyone right if (laughs) If if Terrence's story became like the Will Smith yeah. blockbuster, everyone uh-huh. would be like, abolish the ATF, abolish the FBI. So, of exactly. course, it can't. So, anyways, that's kind of <laughs> the inspiration for what I do. Like, if anyone's going to do the yeah. the Terrence, is it Yeeky? Ye- Ye- Terrence Yeeky, yeah. Terrence Yeeky. If anyone's going to do like him as a blockbuster movie or a comic or something i feel like it would it would be paranoid american i'm, I'm i'll just toot, i'll stop toot my own horn you might that, as well buddy that's and i'm not even idea. kidding I've, I've got a six issue script that's been written for more than a couple years about oklahoma oh city God. that goes into every little nook and cranny that we're that's talking amazing. about here uh, awesome. but it's not an easy one to fund man there's not a lot of uh people sure. clamoring for uh <laughs> the okc retelling but we're, right, we're gonna right. get there so yeah tell us about terrence yakey a little bit okay will do all right so i believe that his story is basically the proof positive of the major cover-up the level of local law enforcement and we need to condemn the leadership in the oklahoma city police department for shielding the public from the truth in that case while protecting the very federal government corruption including state-sponsored terrorism, which is basically what that story really tells, you know, the truth of that story. And so Officer Terrence Yakey, like I said, his story, and like you said, it, it resonated with me above all others, I felt like. And mainly, well, okay, so he's a hero cop, first officer on the scene, only minutes after the bombing, courageously rushed into what was left of the Murrow building and spent over three and a half hours pulling victims from the rubble, ultimately being responsible for saving at least eight people. And he would receive multiple awards for his heroic actions in the wake of the bombing, including being awarded the key to the city of El Reno, Oklahoma. But reportedly, he was reluctant to embrace the moniker of hero. And... He kept telling his, apparently, he kept telling his ex-wife, Tanya, who her name, I believe her maiden name is Tanya Rivera. So she says, and this was detailed in the Washington Weekly in um, April 21st, 1997. So this is what she says. He kept telling me it wasn't what I thought it was that they were only choosing officers who were not even at the site, you know, who didn't see anything to take public rewards, recognition, that sort of stuff. They started pressuring them into taking the rewards. 
there came a time about mid-year where they were forcing him into going to these award ceremonies, as in, yes, you could not go, but we'll make your life hell. The story of the, this reluctant hero, she added, was nothing more than a real thin veil of truth which covered up a mountain of deceit. Terry wanted no part of it, she said. His sister, Vicki Jones, agreed. And she said, Terry hated that stuff. I'm no hero, he would say. Nobody that had anything to do with helping those people in that bombing are heroes. Why would the Medal of Valor recipient make such a bizarre sounding statement? Right? Like, it, you really consider that. It's his well, and, personal and letter. His, his untimely death is probably oh the biggest God. smoking gun so, there. Brother. <laughs> so, yeah. But in a letter, uh, he wrote to a bombing victim and friend named Ramona, right? He tells her his reason for the reluctance to be honored as a hero in all these ceremonies. And he says, I hope that whatever you hear now and in the future will not change your opinions about myself or others with the Oklahoma City Police Department. Although some of the things I'm about to tell you are very disturbing. I don't know if you recall everything that happened that morning or not, so I'm not sure if you know what I'm referring to. The man that you and I were talking about in the pictures I have made the mistake of asking too many questions as to his role in the bombing and was told to back off. I was told by several officers he was an ATF agent who was overseeing the bombing plot, and at the time the photos were taken, he was calling in his report of what had just went down. I think my days as a police officer are numbered because of the way my supervisors are acting. And there is a lot of secrets floating around now about my mental state of mind. I think they're going to write me up because of my ex-wife and a VPO. Uh, that's a protective order, right? Which Tanya, she, uh, she rescinded that order very quickly. And it was, it was all basically just because they had separated and they were arguing. It wasn't anything extreme at all. And Tanya's, she's spoken out since and she's pretty great on all of this by the way but um so this is still the, his letter to ramona his personal friend and apparently a bombing victim so terrence says i told you about talking to chaplain poe well the bastard wrote me up in a report stating i should be re relieved of my duties i made the mistake of thinking that a person's conversation with the chaplain was private which, by the way, might have cost me my job as a police officer. A friend at headquarters told me that Poe sent out letters to everyone in the department. That bitch, Joanne Randall, I told you about, is up to something, and I think it has something to do with Poe. If she gets her way, they will tar and feather me. I was told that Jack Poe has written up a report on every single officer that has been in, that has been in to see him, including Gordon Martin and John Avery. Knowing what I know now, and understanding fully just what went down that morning makes me ashamed to wear a badge from Oklahoma City's police department. I took an oath to uphold the law and to enforce the law to the best of my ability. This is something I cannot honestly do and hold my head up proud any longer if I keep my silence as I am ordered to do. There are several others out there who was what we saw and even, even some or who saw what we saw. 
There are several others out there who saw what we saw and even some who played a role in what happened that day. My guess is, and this is after two pages were missing, by the way, in this letter. My guess is the more time an officer has to think about the screw up, the more he is going to question what happened. Can you imagine what would be coming down now if that had been our officers who had let this happen? Because it was the feds that did this and not the locals is the reason it's okay. You were right all along, and I am truly sorry I doubted you and your motives about recording history. You should know that it is going to be one hell of a fight. Everyone was behind you until you started asking questions as I did as to how so many federal agents arrived at the scene at the same time. Luke Franey, a BATF agent who claimed he was in the building, was not in the building at the time of the blast. I know this for a fact. I saw him. I also saw full riot gear worn with rifles in hand. Why? Don't make the mistake as I did and ask the wrong people. I worry about you and your young family because of some of the statements that have been made towards me, a police officer. Whatever you do, don't confront McPherson with the bomb squad about what I told you. His actions and defensiveness towards the bombing would make any normal person think he was defending himself as if he drove the damn truck up to the building himself. I'm not worried for myself, but for you and your group. I would not be afraid to say at this time that you and your family could be harmed if you get any closer to the truth. At this time, I think for your well-being, it is best for you to distance yourself and others from those of us who have stirred up too many questions about the altering and falsifying of the federal investigations reports. I truly believe there are other officers like me out there who would not settle for anything but the truth. It is just a matter of finding them. The only true problem as I see it is who do we turn to then? It is vital that people like you, Eddie Smith and others, keep asking questions and demanding answers for the actions of our federal government and law enforcement agencies that knew beforehand and participated in the cover-up. The sad truth of the matter is that they have so many police officers convinced that by covering up the truth about the operation gone wrong, that they are actually doing our citizens a favor. What I want to know is how many other operations have they had that blew up in their faces, makes you stop and take another look at Waco. I would consider it to be an insult to my profession as a police officer and to the citizens of Oklahoma for any of the city, state, or federal agents that stood by and let this happen to be recognized as anything other than their part and participation in letting this happen. For those who ran from the scene to change their attire, to hide the fact that they were there, should be judged as cowards. If our history books and records are ever truly corrected about that day, it will show this and maybe even some lame excuse as to why it happened. But I truly don't believe it will, from what I now know to be the truth. Even if I tried to explain it to you the way it was explained to me, and the ridiculous reason for having our own police departments falsify reports to their fellow officers, to the citizens of the city, and to our country, you would understand why I feel the way I do about all of this. I believe that a lot of the problems the officers are having right now are because some of them know what really happened and can't deal with it. 
and others like myself made the mistake of trusting the one person who we were supposed to be able to turn to, only to be stabbed in the back. I'm sad to say that I believe my days as a police officer are numbered because of all of this. And that was the, his letter to Ramona. <laughs> well, and it wasn't just his career, but he ultimately, yeah, so finish, finish us off. Right. So shortly after the bombing, Yankee appeared at his ex-wife's, Tanya's. About two weeks before his death, he'd come into my home at strange times, said Tanya. 2.30 in the morning, 4 in the morning, unannounced, trying to give me life insurance policies. He kept telling me we needed to get remarried immediately or me and the girls would not be taken care of. I mean, why would a guy tell you to take a life insurance policy knowing damn well it wouldn't pay for a suicide? He obviously knew he was in danger. Yet Officer Terrence Yakey was not the type of person so easy to easily show his feelings. And he didn't want to tell his family anything that might get them hurt, apparently. He, I guess she tried. Like, she, she begged him one night. She tells this story that, like, he was, like, he came in one night right before his death. And he almost told her. This is, like, how she, she describes it. That he would like, like he, I've felt this before in my life where like, you're so desperate. You want to tell somebody something, but, but shit, the consequences were never <laughs> what the consequences were for, for Terrence. But either way, what an amazing person because he didn't tell her, you know what I mean? And I think it was basically because he felt that it would lead to her potential demise. Um, who knows? But uh, I'm speculating, but he he did supposedly go to her house, like she said, super early in the morning, one of the last nights that she ever saw him. And uh, he was like, he sat down on the couch with her and he just like, she said like more than three or four times, he almost told her. And then he just couldn't do it and he just sobbed and then left. And I was just like, like that, just like, whew, you know, as that was this whole thing with with Terrence was really tough for me. Like Kenneth is is bad enough, you know, because it pulls in Jesse. But thank God it did. It felt like a twist of fate, you know, like <laughs> like the universe gave us they gave they gave us something. They gave us a win out of this. And it's dark as hell. And it. And someone had to be sacrificed for us to get a window of truth into this case. But, man. Well, and Terrence Yeggies, in my, in my opinion, it's really interesting because this was not a white nationalist extremist. No. This is a black police officer, <laughs> right? That like, like a community police officer, um, Oklahoma City. And... Right he looks at it from the completely other end. He's like, okay, yeah, I was, I was here. I don't really feel like I'm a hero. Oh wait, right. but why is, why are they giving like Sergeant Bob a medal? Like he wasn't even on shift that day. Why are these guys saying that like the ATF was never there? And why is that ATF guy saying he was in the building? Like none of this is making sense. And I don't understand why you'd even lie about any of this. Don't you guys want to know what actually happened? And he starts right. picking at that thread. Right. And they're like, oh Terrence, God. drop it. And he's like, yeah. but I don't get it. I don't, it doesn't, why is this, this, and why is this, this? And then mm -hmm. eventually he realized, Oh crap, I've uncovered something and now I'm yep. going to die for it. And you know what I think? 
and I'll, I'll, I'll go, actually, I'll save it for just a second to tell you what I think right after we get to the end of the Yankee story, because the way that they found his car, not only his body, right? It was the, oh my God, they were looking for something, which I'll, 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 like I said, I'll go into detail in a moment, but so Tanya said that he told her just enough to let her know that it was not what they were making it out to be. That's what she said. And that he was disgusted and didn't want any part of it, but he never went into detail. And she said, it scared me. That's what she said. And so on May 8th, 1996, three days before Sergeant Terrence Yakey was to receive the Oklahoma Police Department's Medal of Valor, he was found dead in a field in El Reno, Oklahoma. A Canadian County Deputy Sheriff named Mike Ramsey discovered Yakey's abandoned car. It was filled with blood. He immediately called a homicide investigator and taped off the crime scene. Although the scene was technically in the jurisdiction of the El Reno Police Department, the Oklahoma City Police Chief would fly a helicopter down to El Reno and take control of the crime scene. So already, this is a little unusual, right? <laughs> and uh, it's an, what I also think is amazing is that. This, the narrative around Terrence is still that he's a hero, you know, that he he was a hero in this. And he was so upset by the things that he witnessed that he had to take his own life. Right. That's the official well, the, narrative. Well, right? the well, I thought the official story was that, that he was having some sort of a dispute well, with his ex-wife. Dispute and that with his wife. Was pushed marital issue. Edge. Right. And that's another reason why I'm glad you said that, because. um. Tanya mentioned how she was called by someone who basically was trying to get her to re-implement and refile for the, the VPO, the protective order, as almost as if, and this was right before she was notified about Terrence's death. So it was almost as if they were trying to set up a plausible enough narrative for the public to be able to accept. Look, he he was l clearly losing his mind and becoming aggressive because his wife, she fought, refiled for a VPO, but she refused to do it. And there were false reports that she in, ended up doing it. And she tried to deny all of those uh, to like local news media and stuff like that, which I found interesting. And she got like a crazy weird message on her voicemail as well that very night. And, um, but anyway, uh, let me, um, quickly touch on how they found his body <laughs> and his car, which this was his day off as well. Right. When, when, and he had told a friend he was trying to shake the feds. That was another thing that was unusual. So it wouldn't be until several hours after the vehicle was found that police dogs located Yankee's body in a ditch about a mile and a half away from the car with no firearm found. Both of his wrists had been slashed in numerous places. His throat had been cut from ear to ear, and he had reportedly lost about two pints of blood before getting out of his car, locking it, and proceeded to walk a mile and a half over rough terrain, crawling under a barbed wire fence, wading through a culvert, and then laid down in a ditch, deciding that <laughs> deciding that 
that was the right time to shoot himself in the head at a very uncomfortable angle for a self-inflicted gunshot wound, right? He sucked That's at the, this, dude. The, yeah. He sucked at this. <laughs> so bad. D minus. <laughs> and killing yourself, right? It's it's still a passing grade, but it's like a D minus. <laughs> Most definitely. The Oklahoma City Police Department would suspiciously rule his death a suicide, despite not having a suicide note or a suicide weapon or grappling with the fact that he also had handcuff marks on his wrists, as well as rope burns on his body, complete with grass in his wounds, indicating his body potentially being dragged to the final location. And of course, no autopsy would be performed on Terrence Yankee's body. And when his car was discovered, locked up and filled with his own blood, it was also in very unusual condition. The seats had been completely unbolted. The floorboards had been ripped up. The side panels had been removed. And it looked very much as if whoever did that to the car was searching for something. The morning of the bombing, Terry was very upset, according to an article by Pat Shannon. And this is pretty much a smoking gun, I felt. Because (laughs) what they say, and this is according to this report, the morning of the bombing, Terry was very upset. He reportedly called his ex-wife crying and saying repeatedly, it's not true. It's not what they are saying. It didn't happen that way. Now, in an interview with Tanya after his death, she revealed that Terry had been very upset by something he had seen under the daycare center on April 19th. He had wanted to go back and photograph it, but the officials would not let him onto the site again. The Oklahoma City Bombing Investigation Investigation Committee speculates that what Terry saw may have coincided with the possible evidence of another unreported bombing device uncovered. Sergeant Yakey had told friends that he was going out of town to hide or secure evidence of a cover-up of the bombing by federal agents. And it was his day off, like I said, and he was traveling in his private automobile. So in his last known conversation, Terry reportedly told a friend that he was being followed by the feds and had to shake them. Previously, his household had been subjected to numerous threatening phone calls by persons unknown, threats which have not ceased even after his death. And they were like, they were slashing their tires, Tanya's tires too. and. They were like breaking into their house and apparently Terrence had even taken a VHS, a VHS, um, uh, a recording device, but it was, it was one where he had two VHS recorders. So he was basically trying to copy a tape, right? Copy a recording. And that's at least what Tanya was saying. And so she said that. But right before he died, he he came to her house and he had a VHS recorder with a tape in it. And he begged her, he said, whatever you do, do not watch this tape. Right. And he said he he was trying to hide it there for some reason. Um, And so she said after his death. Right. And his family also said this, that, like I said, he was in his private car. so. His squad car, his police car, was had already been seized by authorities by this time, before the family could even see anything in the car, anything, right? 
and it was taken out of his driveway from his personal house. And so pretty much what they were saying is that, and well, I have to say that Tanya also mentioned that after, before he he was even reported dead, that her house had been broken into and that very VHS recording device with the tape in it had been stolen was the only thing in her entire house that went missing. Right. That alone, I I just thought was okay. That makes a lot of sense because the Oklahoma city police department was the only other department other than the feds that had access to those tapes from the Murrow building. Right. And so they had access. It was in lockup at the OKCPD. And so Allegedly, Terrence tried to he tried to copy that tape. Right. And I think he did. (laughs) And I think that that's what led to his death, because and that's why when he tried to go back to the scene later, he went at night with Tanya. And when they went, some Fed was there and he caught Terrence trying to get back in to take pictures of what he supposedly saw. And if you uh, take into account all the evidence that shows that it wasn't the rider truck that caused such significant damage to the Murrow building, it couldn't have been basically is what they say. And that they say that all of the forensics analysis shows that there had to have been all these different structural pillars in the building that had been strategically uh, uh, strategically set with, uh, what's it called? The putty and the, the wiring. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, so, and there's a lot of evidence that points to that happening with Andreas Strassmeyer being spotted there by one of the federal employees that worked at the Murrow building and that they had putty and wiring like that looked like explosives and that they had been seen standing at one of the structural pillars and potentially rigging it up with that explosive device. So pretty much, I think, at least uh, um, just a broad overview. I mean, it seems like that whole building was meant to come down. And I, I have seen reports that the whitewater scandal files were uh, at least all the files on uh, the CIA had or whatever agency it was that was in, uh, there was a select a subcommittee that was investigating the Whitewater scandal at this time. And apparently all their documents had been housed, recently housed and moved to the Murrow building. And that's so that along with all these other reports of potentially this whole building was intended to come down. That makes more sense to me, right? Like, and it also makes sense that when it didn't actually go the way they planned, that's why the feds came in and shut down the rescue operation. But just it, it literally so, and, and witnesses claimed this, that agents came in, sh- called off the rescue operation only to seize the cameras that were still intact, right? And so. That seems a little interesting, especially since all the video evidence that could have strategically shown 
<laughs> John Doe 2, right? Uh, the, the, them, the rider truck pulling up to the Merle building, all of that. We've decided there was no John Doe 2 at this point. <laughs> right, right. Oh, I'm for, I forgot. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry about and that. I, I wanted to point out, too, that this is the best way that I've seen it described, but the movie Armageddon. Remember this from like oh, 1998? Yeah. Steven Tyler and oh, uh, yeah. Liv Tyler was in it and Ben Affleck. Mm-hmm. So the whole premise of Armageddon was that there's an asteroid that's heading towards Earth and that they're going to try and destroy the asteroid and that you can't just shoot a missile at it because if something explodes on the outside of this huge asteroid, the best you can hope to do is it kind of like pushes it a little way or maybe like knocks a little chip off of the very edge of it. But you're not going to just like destroy the asteroid from an explosion that happens on the surface. So what they have to do is they have to drill into the center and spoiler alert for anyone that hasn't seen Armageddon, it legitimately is a good movie, um, but is. they have to drill into the center of the asteroid and then put explosives inside the center of it so that when it explodes, it actually causes the asteroid to crumble and deteriorate. And that's kind of exactly what happens here, that if you drive a rider truck out to the outside of a building and it explodes (laughs) on the outside of the building, at best, it takes a couple chunks out of the outside of the building. It maybe like shifts it a little bit in the opposite direction. But what it doesn't do, and this is a this is a crazy conspiracy theory stuff that thinks all these coincidences were more than right, right, right. But so the, the (laughs) the crazy conspiracy theory is that you can't blow it's basically the armageddon that you can blow up a rider truck on the side of an asteroid and that'll take the asteroid down and then you don't have to drive it into the center of the asteroid and put thermite up and then have that explode and that's essentially what terrence yakey maybe he went inside the center of the asteroid and he was like oh wait there's thermite in here there's not <laughs> right. a rider truck so yep. that's my but and that's and the another interesting aspect of this is there was like some high ranking general in the air force retired that was like a specialist in what structures and in architecture oh Oh, and he had the exact same thought and he like he got a buck up his ass over this and was like wait a minute none of this makes sense and and became almost like an advocate um did he die it seems like that would get you killed right you would think but i think he was so dismissed by one, the state sponsored media, you know, they, they just made him out to be a con- fringe conspiracy psychopath, you know, and, and at this time, they just also happened like, to be a high ranking officer, right, in the military. Right. but aside from all that, he was a crazy conspiracy. <laughs> right. Definitely. I mean, his name, I, I have it right he here. He was like a brigadier general or something. Yeah, he, like, was it, a retired- he wasn't just BS. No, dude. He was a retired U.S. Air Force Brigadier General named Benton K. Parton, and he served as the commander of the Air Force Armament Technology Laboratory and had a collective 25 years of design and testing experience handling explosives and ballistic weapons. (laughs) So a freaking bump, like an idiot bumpkin in (laughs) red. American Gladiator watching Knuckle Dragon. no frame of reference. <laughs> right. He's so, not, dude, stay, stay in your lane. What, what, what did you say <laughs> his specialty was in again? Armament Technology Laboratory had a collective 25 years of design and testing experience handling explosives and ballistic weapons. <laughs> so he had no idea what the hell he was talking about. Stay in <laughs> right. your lane, dude. 
Go back exactly. and talk about ballistics and whatever the hell you said. <laughs> nothing about right. rider trucks in there. Nothing about daycare yep. centers. This yep. guy probably was never even in a daycare center. A day in his life. <laughs> right, so right. Who the right. hell? So. Oh, that's great, man. So he, like you said, though, he did become an advocate. He sent letters addressed to members of Congress and later even prepared an official report on the bombing of the Murrah Federal Building. And it was dated July 30th, 1995. And that's when he submitted it to the U.S. Congress, but which made it a matter of congressional public record. And in that report, he he destroys that narrative. And he says, when I first saw the picture of the truck bombs, asymmetrical damage to the federal federal building in Oklahoma, my immediate reaction was that the pattern of damage would have been technically impossible without supplementary demolition charges at some of the reinforced concrete bases inside the building, a standard demolition technique, right? And he says, for a simplistic blast truck bomb of the size and composition reported, to be able to reach out on the order of 60 feet and collapse a reinforced column base the size of column A7 is beyond credulity. The total incompatibility with a single truck bomb lies in the fact that either some columns collapsed that should not have collapsed, or some of the columns are still standing that should have collapsed and did not. Reinforced concrete targets in large buildings are hard targets to blast. I know of no way possible to reproduce the apparent building damage through simply a truck bomb effort. If it is easy to determine whether a column was failed by contact demolition charges or by blast loading, such as a truck bomb, it, or he didn't say if it is, he said it is easy to determine. So it is also easy to cover up crucial evidence as was apparently done in Waco, right? Which by the way, the front freaking door, which would have proven who shot first. Oh, it goes missing as well from evidence. What? Who is in charge of the evidence in these cases, man? I mean, <laughs> it seems to always go strategically missing when it could. Uh, only... There was this guy named Terrence Yakey. No one's seen him for a while. He took a personal. <laughs> yeah, day. yeah. Oh my god, man! It just kills me. I do, like oh this. Like I, it was Ruby Ridge, Waco, and OKC were my red pill officially. You know, like that's what really forced me to re-examine everything I thought was true. Right? How many guns have you filed down today alone? <laughs> That's what I mean. It's like with Randy, it's even crazier because like he started the cut on the shotgun at the legal limit. And then the Fed tells him, no, no, I want it cut here. Mm-hmm. Shave it a little <laughs> bit more, bud. <laughs> I no mean, one, will, no just- one will tell anyone about this. Absolutely um, crazy. So here, here's a here's an open ended question. A little bit. How do I get a non and I and I mean this to be a little bit incendiary. How do mm-hmm. I get a non white non racist person to give a shit about Randy Weaver? Because it almost seems like if you become sympathetic to Weaver, or God help you, if you become sympathetic to David Koresh and oh, the God. Branch Davidians, mm-hmm. like you yourself are already a nutcase and you probably should have been burnt to death by Janet Reno personally, along oh, yeah. with the rest of them, right? So right. how do I how do I go and snatch somebody, you know, let's go find a 13-year-old black kid and how do I make him care about Randy Weaver? 
And I know it's, it's like almost an impossible task. And I mean right. that to be inflammatory in a way, but it's also a very honest right. question. For sure. I mean, I think it really boils down to like, you ha- or, a, or a 14 year old Asian girl. Like there's nothing. Right. How do I find a non like militia minded kid that like already right. wants to shoot guns and move it's, out into the woods? It's definitely and- tough. It's definitely tough. But I think really the best way is to. To and maybe even just read Sarah's account, the 16 year old girl of what she told PBS, because it's like at that point. You know, you know, once you read her account, it pretty much becomes impossible to 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 imagine that that these people were impossible to deal with and that they couldn't just deescalate by going up to the door and trying to have a conversation. Right. I mean, alone, the fact that when they tried to entrap Randy. He this is so crazy because he he was like <laughs> when the feds first arrested him he's driving with his wife Vicky and apparently a couple of BATF agents they tried to serve this warrant and they 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 say this is 8 months after the supposed sell uh, of the shotguns to a BATF agent and a couple of BATF agents approached Weaver and asked him to serve as an informant within the Aryan nations. They told him they didn't have a warrant. But they did have incriminating conversations on tape. And they threatened him with arrest and confiscation of his truck or house if he didn't cooperate. And Randy replied, fuck off. In December 1990, Randy was indicted for manufacturing, possessing, and selling illegal firearms. And the difference between legal and illegal in this case was about a quarter of an inch per barrel and $200 tax stamp. So this is the part that is so crazy that I think anybody would have a problem with because it implicates character alone of of Randy and Vicky. And... On January 17th, 1991, two BAT, or no, I'm sorry, that was the trial. <laughs> so this is the, it's messed up. They posed as a couple, these BATF agents, and it was January 17th, 1991. Two of these agents posed as a couple having engine trouble with a pickup truck hauling a camper, stopped on the one lane bridge leading to the Weaver property. Randy and Vicky stopped to help, right? They get out. Hey, what you need any help, man? What can we do for you? <laughs> I just thought that alone was was oh yeah, they're terrible people. You you shouldn't even be able to have a conversation with them. They're they're they must be tunneling their property with an arsenal ready to attack. And I think also, like a lot of it has been the claim that he's a white separatist, right? And so that's led a lot of people to just basically chop it up to he's a Nazi, you know, and and so it's made it a lot easier for people to not care about Randy Weaver and Ruby Ridge. Right. Like you were saying. But once you get into it, into the evidence, like you find out they weren't like acting out uh, against racial minorities in any way, you know, like that's not 
as, as far as any of the evidence that I found, that's not how they were behaving. All they wanted was to be left alone. To, well, to, it, it sounds like he gave it a shot. Like he he went to a couple, kind of like Timothy he McVeigh did. Go did. To, no, like for he sure, tested like, it out. He dipped his toe in, but then was like, ah, this might not be for me after all. Right. Well, it turns out that where, when he went there uh, to that one, it was an Elohim City type situation where it, it was like this. Um, uh, they claim it was an Aryan meeting, right, is what they claim. And apparently what had happened was that Randy was friends with this guy that had gone to this this meeting and so uh apparently he had only gone to one of them which i thought was interesting right and he never went back and so and that was the one meeting he was introduced to a fed now it's possible that he maybe went to other meetings that you know and i'm just talking about the one that was at this uh specific compound but um from what i saw uh it looks like his first and only appearance at this meeting was so on February 28th, 85, Randy and Vicky. Well, I, it's, it's hard to tell this because pretty much all of this came onto the radar of the feds whenever he had like this pissed off neighbor named, uh, Kennison who, who they had gotten into legal dispute over property boundaries and Kennison got pissed off and sent all these letters, threatening letters to all these, these, uh, different, uh, like even the president claiming that Randy wanted to assassinate the Pope and president Reagan was, was a part of those letters. It's such a crazy, uh, story. Like he wrote the, the FBI Kennison did Terry Kennison was his name. And it was over a $3,000 land deal. And so he apparently lost the ensuing lawsuit to Randy and was ordered to pay Weaver an additional $2,100 in court costs and damages. <laughs> and things. so it pissed him off so bad <laughs> that he writes letters to the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the Secret Service, and the county sheriff, in which he alleged that Weaver had threatened to kill Pope John Paul II, President Ronald Reagan, and Idaho Governor John V. Evans. And this is what, I, like I said, officially brought Randy onto the FBI's radar for the first time. And so in January 85 is when the FBI and the Secret Service launched an investigation into allegations that Weaver had made threats against Reagan and other government and law enforcement officials. And in those letters, this disgruntled neighbor, Terry Kennison, he also told the Secret Service that Weaver was a member of Aryan Nations and, and that he had a large weapons cache at his residence. So on February 12th, 85, two FBI agents, two Secret Service agents, the county sheriff and chief investigator interviewed Vicky and Randy and accused him of being a member of Aryan Nations due to the fact that during their month-long investigation, they had witnessed him associating with a man by the name of Frank Kumnick, who was known to associate with members of the Aryan nations. And so apparently Weaver got pissed at the investigators when they asked him this question and were implicating him as being this member of the Aryan nations because of his association with Kumnick. And he, he like, 
like aggressively denied it and said that he told investigators that neither he nor Kumnik were members of the Aryan nations and described Kumnik as he specifically said this, that he was associated with the covenant sword and arm of the Lord, outright denying any of the allegations of the government and the government filed no charges. But I just thought it was weird because similar to Elohim city, but not exactly the same because, yeah, I mean, I get it. it. It looks really bad. You're going to a meeting at a compound with a where a bunch of Aryan nations groups are are attending. But it turns Have out you that, had the donuts and coffee though at those places. Right, right, right. It's like next level. <laughs> they only use the purest ingredients. Right. So they apparently were like staunch believers in Christian identity movement, right? And this had like some off-centered beliefs, you know what I mean? Like most definitely, but we're talking Turner Diaries area. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it. Um, they they did believe that they were basically white separatists. They they, as far as I can tell, they weren't white supremacists. You know, actively. They seem to be white separatists, but I guess um, they also believed as a part of this Christian identity movement and specifically Vicky and Randy, that the true descendants of the tribes of Israel are the modern nationalites of Europe, that today's Jews are imposters and that Yahweh has fierce punishment planned for sinful America and its Babylonian occupational government. So basically Zionist occupied government scenario, right? Zog. And I guess Christian identity believers claim to live by Old Testament laws to be the true heirs of Israel. And many or most are, like I said, separatists, which you can argue that, you know, the difference, unlike white supremacists, they simply say they want to live apart from the other races if they so choose, rather than persecuting or subjugating them. Um, so, again, I feel like at the very least, if there's no evidence that they were actively committing violence, you know, I mean, and then I don't I certainly won't lump them into that category. Right. Which has most undoubtedly happened. Right. Which is why, like we said, it's been so easily uh you know, swept under the rug and, and never really in consideration as severe human rights violations. <laughs> right. But I think it also does something that was really of primary concern at the time for just the establishment in general, which was to demonize, to basically demonize the right wing Christian philosophy, ideology, right. In general, because it is very much First Amendment, Second Amendment, Second Amendment, you know, prioritization as far as most of the time they do fall on that side of the political spectrum. Right. And so it seemed to me like another convenient way to demonize this ideology. Right. To, oh, well, if you in any way um, embrace any of these beliefs then you're basically a Nazi, right? And I think that that's not very helpful, you know, not at all as far as 
if you're actually trying to root out real white supremacists and real Nazis who <laughs> want to commit violence, I mean, that's kind of not going to help. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, what's crazy, though, is that in the 80s and the 90s, it actually took being like, look, this guy's actually been to like an Aryan meeting. And then it was right. like, yeah, but I, I didn't like it. I didn't go back. Um, but now it's like, look, this guy liked this post uh, two years That's ago. That's what I mean. And now it's like it's the same accusation, right? Right. <laughs> and and I didn't take long, right, to escalate to that extreme. And I think that was a part of what I'm I was trying kind of hinting at was that this was this Ted Kaczynski, like really the origins of PatCon with Ruby Ridge, Waco, and OKC, this set into the minds of definitely the American public, right? That we have this terrifying prospect of a white supremacist problem and domestic terrorism is a real threat in our society, right? And I don't, I don't think that's the case, man. I mean, it doesn't seem that way. It seems like Almost all of these groups are either founded by feds who always seem to be the ones introducing the violent plots, right? And not just that, funding them, right? And escalating in them in every single way. And I mean, we know this with the, uh, the they did the exact same thing with Islamic terrorism, international terrorism. So it's not far off to make to at least make that implication that this was a plausible narrative to manufacture and implement into the minds of the public to help fuel a culture war and a divide in this country that's going to be very difficult to come back from, right? And Do I you think, think that it's possible the FBI or the ATF are good guys and they are fighting for what's think, right, but they just really suck at their jobs and they keep letting like the bad guys in and they get to the highest ranks because they're they never see it coming. I mean, I think that I think that basically these agencies, yes, you have good intention agents that individuals within these agencies like i mentioned that they're morally sound they mean well their intentions are pure they want to truly and honestly investigate these crimes and and try and keep them from from happening but i also believe that special interests rule the day and in the end the way that they are allowed and the way they function inherently is through compartmentalizing everything they do. And so you have, they know which agents to put on what case I'm sure. Right. If you're, I think the leadership is always compromised almost because they only ever, they only ever perpetuate and facilitate cover-ups in, in, from my experience. Right. And so it doesn't seem like it seems like we're relying on whistleblowers. We're relying on a minority because you have, like I said, this collectivist team mentality. It's like tribalism, right? Where it's like now they're 
a BATF agent and that's their team, right? And so on Ruby Ridge, when the U.S. Marshals lost one of their own and, and their own blood was introduced into the game, it caused a violent reaction, right? Which, you know, say what you want about that. Those people will typically have, they'll, they typically react in that way, right? And so for me, I just see it as you have so much of this <laughs> where through breaking down that individualist, that individualism that I mentioned earlier, now your ultimate priority is what's best for the team, you know? And so it's no longer, you know, like we, they don't view the average, the average citizen as one of theirs, right? Like not at all. And so I, I don't, at least all you have to do is point to what they said to a reporter at Waco where legitimately one of the FBI agents told one of the reporters and it perfectly exemplifies like the mentality. He said 5,000 to one. Those are the odds against us. 5,000 people to every one officer of the law. Do you know how we keep order with those odds? Because people believe we're more powerful than we are. We project strength. And the people believe in that strength. And we sit outside a place like this for weeks on end, waiting for them to tire. We look weak in front of the rest of the world. And every asshole with a bomb kit starts getting ideas. This is more than a situation now. This is a symbol. Are we the kind of agency that coddles cop killers? Right? And I mean, 76 Branch Davidians were murdered that day alone that final day, including 28 kids, right? Children. So I, that mentality justifying such blatant atrocities, you know, I mean, it's just, honestly, it's the human rights violations don't even begin to explain what the hell happened at Waco. You know, and so it's it's hard for me. Of course, I'm not going to claim that every single individual within these agencies are to blame. But I I don't believe that they're helping anything, in my opinion. Right. I don't. I think that these agencies should all be abolished. And <laughs> I like I said, I don't even believe in democracy. I, I believe it's, you know, tyranny of the majority. And I think we all need to reject the collectivist nature of cultural Marxism, right? And, and it's just, it's plaguing our society, right? And people don't realize that they've been indoctrinated into that belief subconsciously. It's, it's, it's the structure of our system. Right. And so it, it really is like Yuri Bezmenov said, the four stages of ideological subversion, because it's affecting us on every side of the aisle. doesn't matter what, you know, even these conservatives, they look a lot more like communists these days, man. You know, I mean, it's like they, they don't understand modern economics. They really don't. It seems that way. It seems like 
they aren't able to interpret the Federal Reserve central banking system and the creature from Jekyll Island that, you know, has completely destabilized our, our economic system to this boom bust cycle that we can't recover from. And, and all we do is, is suffer from inflation, which is just another invisible tax on the dollar. And I mean, so when we've been significantly pushed to such a degree, more and more Marxist, right? Like I said, the conservatives have have subconsciously embraced Marxism and they don't even know it. It's 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 a sad state of affairs. But so I don't I don't think that if the ATF and or I mean if the FBI, right, and the if the FBI and the CIA are gonna cover up pedophile rings, right? You know? That, I mean, our show's sponsored, by the way. The today's show is sponsored by Pedophile Rings. Just try <laughs> please. <laughs> then how the hell can we trust that you know they're going to get to the bottom of anything? I mean, that they, they, they're covering up these crimes at the highest level. I'm not saying that, like I said, it's not every agent in the FBI. No, but the leadership is consistently compromised, and I mean, we can just point to. I mean, I find it insane that, like, so RFK Jr., right? He he wrote that book on Anthony Fauci, and I still think it's very valuable. And, and I love a lot of what he did, at least bringing some attention to vaccines and, and uh, autism. Uh, also sponsored the show, uh, vac- <laughs> Vaccines and Autism, both sponsored the right, show. Right. <laughs> but... It's like, then I come to find out, and you know, I, I, that one, he was in Epstein's black book and on the flight logs. Also a sponsor of the show. I hate, (laughs) or did, did they set you up to just drop all the sponsors? I appreciate it though. (laughs) I'm sorry, but I'm sorry. No, but it's, it's absurd, right? Because apparently his, uh, uh, let alone he's been to the island, right? So he, his ex-wife, apparently, she dis- this is Richard Booth has reported on this recently. He's a great journalist, but he's done a lot of wonderful work on OKC, actually, specifically. And but anyway, he uh, he he mentioned recently how RFK Jr.'s ex-wife basically discovered his perverted sex diary, and then was found hanging, deemed a suicide. Right. And so after she crawled under a barbed wire fence and (laughs) it's it's eerily similar, I'm telling you, man, like I just can't understand how people don't see patterns here. Right. Like, well, I want to, I want to ask you, cause I got, I got another really quick segment um, to start wrapping up, but I want to, I want to figure out where you see patterns. Um, so I've got a segment that I'm just going to state something and you're going to tell me (laughs) zero to 10 how much you agree with that statement, right? So zero okay. means you don't agree and 10 means you do agree. Okay. Simple enough. Simple enough. All right, let's, let's, let's rock this. Hey, conspiracy buffs. I double dare you to take some PCP, the paranormal conspiracy probe on your marks, get set and go. Okay. 
This is and this is a, these are specially tailored uh, for for this particular episode. So zero to ten, Timothy McVeigh was sheep dipped. Ten, eleven. <laughs> That's zero a green, right? Yeah. Yeah. Zero to yeah. ten. Vicky Weaver was shot on purpose, and Randy was mocked over it. Eleven. <laughs> they picked rabbit and dolphin noises at Waco for a specific reason. Ten. Yeah, yeah, I would say yes. Uh, zero to ten. They knew the tank would set fire to the compound in Waco. No doubt in my mind. Ten. Zero to ten. That. Shaving an extra quarter inch off the top of a gun makes it scarier. <laughs> I disagree. <laughs> Zero. Zero to ten. Timothy McVeigh was a racist. It's possible. I, I guess it's possible. I mean. So five? Five, six? yeah. I'm not certain on that one, but it is possible. <laughs> Zero to ten that Jolly West was in the same room as Timothy McVeigh at some point. Oh, I know that one. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, zero to ten. To give, I'm sorry, but he, he seems to give a lot of different uh, uh, psychological. Uh, uh, what's it called? Where where they uh, they break down? Uh, they give them oh, the a profiling. Psycholo- yeah, yeah, exactly. He profiled out all of these guys. Jack Ruby. Right after he met with him, right? I mean, it's, just, it's a coincidence. You keep focusing on coincidences. I'm sorry. You, I'm sorry. Okay, go Marco. ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, zero to ten. QAnon is a modern day version of PacCon. It's similar. I see it more as a psyop because I still think PacCon's happening. And before we end, let me tell you why. But that's it. Go ahead. Ten. No, wait. Uh, was like Q, seven. Q, Okay, uh, zero yeah. to ten. Koresh was opening the seven seals. Well, that's crazy. I mean, it's possible, man. I certainly want to know what the hell it was. You know, I, that's for for sure. I saw, zero to ten that somebody could open the seven seals. I don't know. I don't know. It sounds amazing, and it intrigues me. I'll, I'll, I'm at least like intrigued enough to I want to look more into what exactly that even means. And when he as long as I listen to Koresh. You know, if you can minimize, you know, uh, him having sexual relations with, you know, a little bit too young children, obviously, as you do. Problem. I mean, what, what are you even running <laughs> a sex cult for if that's not part of the <laughs> right, deal? Right. <laughs> Other than that, uh, I'm telling you, I th- he had a way with words. He, he was definitely like he almost puts you in a trance. It it was well, very dude. He, he cucked every man he came across. He was just Isn't like your daughter crazy? and your wife. They're mine now, and they would just be it's like, so "Yes, crazy. Yep, how can I, I debate with an argument so strong?" Yes, <laughs> and it was all different. Like, honey, have you heard this guy's spectrum. opening the seven seals? <laughs> Get on your knees. <laughs> oh, that's so great. I mean, not at all, but. <laughs> and then zero to 10, there's a basement under Conmet Ping Pong. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, here's what's interesting on that is that the basement is that 
For sure, that cooler room that they that they showed that refrigerated room. That, hey, that, sir, I said a basement. You're not allowed uh, to bring wine cellars or coolers into this. I think there was man a ten. <laughs> well, you were wrong. It was actually a wine cellar, and a wine cellar is not Damn a basement. It. So check me. Damn it. So I I do want to, you you said that you wanted to make a, you wanted to say something about QAnon and, um, PatCon. I assume it's going to just be your unbridled support of the entire QAnon movement (laughs) and that you stand for a second January 6th. Go ahead. Right, right. Where are people meeting up to saw off their shotguns with, what is it? Austin Picard, (laughs) P-I-C-A-R-D. Everyone's going to show up outside the White House on what day? Are we still doing January 6th? Are we doing the 7th? Oh, you're killing me, brother. No, no, sorry. What were you going to say, though, about uh, the QAnon and the the PatCon connection? (laughs) Okay. So, (laughs) PatCon, I found this to be very, just almost like a smoking gun, honestly, because Larry Potts was supposed to be the guy who, so PatCon was directly overseen by Larry Potts, and he was the assistant FBI director was later responsible for supervising the Ruby Ridge operation from FBI headquarters, which led to accusations that Potts approved the order saying FBI agents can and should shoot, effectively changing the standard rules of engagement, which was the real story behind Ruby Ridge because PATCON operatives were even embedded in the FBI SWAT team. But we also need to remember the signed deposition given by convicted co-conspirator Terry Nichols connecting a recurring character in these unnecessary tragedies occurring all throughout the 90s. He wrote in his deposition that McVeigh was extremely upset and angry. There in what I believe was an accidental slip of the tongue, McVeigh revealed the identity of a high-ranking FBI official who was apparently directing McVeigh in the bomb plot. <clears throat> the name McVeigh let slip was Larry Potts lead FBI agent at Ruby Ridge. McVeigh said he believed Potts was manipulating him and forcing him to go off script, which I understood meant to change the target of the bombing, Nichols said. That was the only time that I ever heard McVeigh refer to Larry Potts. Larry Potts did not only supervise the Waco massacre and the siege at Ruby Ridge, he has also been implicated in directly supervising the FBI's PATCON operation, and almost immediately after the 95 bombing, he was conveniently promoted to deputy director of the FBI. So Utah Attorney, Jen, or Utah Attorney Jesse Trinidu, that we keep mentioning that his, his brother, uh, Kenneth, was suicided. He gave, uh, Jesse gave an interview with Scott Horton, which I love to death. He, he doesn't believe in the New World Order, but... <laughs> He's so good on all the anti-war stuff that we need him to fight against the wars anyway. <clears throat> but he um, he interviewed Jesse in like 2011, and they still have it on the Wayback Machine. Um, I think at DistentRadio.com is where it was. But anyway, that's when Jesse really like outed PatCon by saying... As, well, he really outed him through his lawsuits and FOIA requests. But he says, as I pursued this over the last 16 years and lots of lawsuits and fights with the FBI, who, by the way, tried to indict him two separate times 
for his probing into the case on obstruction charges, right? But he like covered his ass to the nth degree and they never could come through or follow through with those charges. But it basically shows that the FBI and the Department of Justice can do whatever the hell they want, with no accountability. But <clears throat> so he, Jesse claimed in this interview that I stumbled across an operation that the FBI called PATCON, P-A-T-C-O-N. And the FBI began to distance itself from PATCON when I was probing. And they said it was just a simple operation where they were going to infiltrate some militia folks in Alabama who had stolen some night vision goggles from a military base and were selling them. But it was clear to me that PATCON was bigger than that, much, much bigger. And there were PATCON operations going on all over the country. They referred to them as PATCON Group 1, PATCON Group 2, PATCON Group 3. Apparently, it went on throughout the 90s because here last summer, I received a phone call. So this is in 2010 from a fellow who said that I've been seeing what's been posted on the Internet from your FOIA lawsuits with the FBI. He said, you have all the pieces, but you just haven't put them together. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you just don't see the picture. And so he came to see me and I directed him to Newsweek magazine and some other reporters. He had been one of the top undercover operatives for the FBI and PATCON for almost 10 years. He had infiltrated some 23 groups. He started out believing it was the right thing. He wasn't, you know, so many of these informants are people who are caught in the act of committing a crime and are forced to go undercover for the FBI. He did it voluntarily because he thought these hate groups, what they described as, to him as hate groups, were dangerous. In hindsight, he said, looking back on it, he sees now that the agenda, the agenda was to infiltrate and incite the militia movement, the right wing Christian movement to violence so that the Justice Department could crush them. He said that Ruby Ridge was a PATCON operation. He said that Waco was a PATCON operation. He believed that Oklahoma City was, but he wasn't involved in it. But he did say that other members of the PatCon group were involved in Oklahoma City. That's crazy. There's like PatCon one. Pat, what PatCon are you part of, Austin? <laughs> Five, yeah, I, I don't know. Are you double digits? <laughs> um. So we can do. We could keep going for a long time, but but I I need to go and feed my dogs. It's um, okay. But I want to I want to wrap this up on a light note. What do you think is the silver lining from Oklahoma City bombing and uh, the daycare being destroyed and babies dying? What where's the silver lining? Man, that's hard. <laughs> uh, There's always silver lining, isn't there? <laughs> I think the silver lining is that. We have clear evidence and clear enough evidence to point to, in my opinion, that that proves the cover up taking place. Right. The suicides of Terrence and Kenneth, like. Those alone. You know, like I said, like with Kenneth, man. It's so sad that that happened to their family, but. It like that is the silver lining that Jesse was pulled sideways into the Oklahoma city bombing and had no intention of solving shit to do with it. And 
because he loved his brother so much, because they were moral, they're moral people, right? They seem to be principled people, right? They fucked with the wrong guy, man. Jesse was a, Jesse is just so valuable. Like he's literally spent the rest of it. I wish I had a brother like that. I don't have a brother, but I'm just saying like, I wish I had a brother that loved me like that, right? Where you yeah, some brothers like fart in your, your face life. and give you knuckle sandwiches and others will <laughs> avenge your death. I'm sure until... a lot of that happened, yeah. <laughs> but but it it really is the perfect. I feel example. like Ken would have been the one farting and on Jesse. Yeah, I do. He was kind of like the <laughs> I did too. A little bit of a biker vibe to For him. For real, but there's this uh, uh, super brief H.L. Mencken quote that I think I think it applies to people like us, at least, who are doing what we're doing. And uh, he said, the most dangerous man to any government is the man who is able to think things out for himself without regard to the prevailing superstitions and taboos. Almost inevitably, he comes to the conclusion that the government he lives under is dishonest, insane, and intolerable. And so, if he is romantic, he tries to change it. And even if he is not romantic personally, he is very apt to spread discontent among those who are. I just love it because that's what I want, man. I mean, we need to we need to at least ruffle some feathers and try and shake loose shake loose these prevailing narratives that seem to be so entrenched in the minds of the average person affected by the mainstream media apparatus, the culture war, you know, I just, I think it's bigger than that. You know, I think this is like a a spiritual battle and we, we can come out implementing beautiful principles in our lives as individuals. And I, I, I just think that as long as we try and continually define them for ourselves in a pursuit to hopefully improve our own lives, you know, maybe, maybe we can live in a world one day, you know, that's, that's not so dark. <laughs> Maybe and in so a few thousand years. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. I But I just, I feel like at the very least, finding like-minded people, it's so worthwhile. You know, it really is because this this isolates and fractures families, you know, and if you let it, right? And it's nothing's worth that, right? But we do have to maintain a sense of morality, a moral foundation we're proud of. So I just really appreciate you having me on, brother. I really do, man. And, and uh, my my my, I felt like I was all over the place on this one. <laughs> I had I had like six of my tabs up of notes, and I was just trying to go through each one. But uh, you're only going to get in, through in so no much real order. in like an hour or so, anyways. So <laughs> in no real order, but. <laughs> When no, and major shout out to Sam for even, you know, birthing you onto the scene for me to to see and, and connect us. So I can't thank, thank you to Sam. Sam. 
Thank you to Austin. Thank you for the research that you're doing and uh, for making it accessible. And as a really quick exit note, uh, I've got some Waco sticker sheets that you can grab to support. Here you go. Explore the unique with Paranoid American sticker sheets. Unearth tales of cryptids, cults, and mysteries through each sticker. These won't last long. Get yours now at ParanoidAmerican.com. American stickers, cryptids, cults, and killers, killers. We got all your favorite conspiracies. All the more on our sticker sheets. Yeah, we're North American stickers. Make you smile and snickers. Ghost legs and secret societies. All of these and more on our sticker sheets. What the heck are you waiting for? Discover the extraordinary with paranoid American sticker sheets. From cryptids in the night to cults out of sight, each sticker is a unique find. Get yours now at ParanoidAmerican.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.